Mike Young, back in the studio with my boy Jordy. Stories that need to be told. I'm going to kick today off with a little recap of my weekend. A little song about life in Hollywood that I'm going to make up right now off the top of my head just because everything's fresh in my mind. I can feel it. This is a recap of a typical Hollywood weekend that I just experienced two days ago. This girl that's not my girlfriend, she insists she's not my girlfriend, probably because she has a boyfriend living in another country, oh. She came to the comedy store, she came to the comedy store, showed up with some friends at the comedy store, I got them a bunch of free drinks, because that's what I do. I am a gentleman, I am a gentleman too. Then she got really, really hammered, she might have even been on cocaine, I think she was on cocaine, because she basically grabbed my hand and said, come with me Mike Young. Come with me, Mike Young. You're going outside now. I didn't put up an argument. I walked outside with her and then walked down the street with her. Then got in my car with her. Then got in my car with her. I drove up a weird hill off Sunset close to Doheny. And like a high school student, we pulled the car over and then we had sex. In the back of my Honda Accord We had sex in the back of my Honda Accord It was just like high school But even in high school I had a better car than I do now But oddly enough I make much more money now But I'm so damn cheap I have a Honda Accord But I slept with her pretty face in a Honda Accord We went up the hill and Things got pretty heated and it was kind of funny because when I made out with her I said have you been doing cocaine she said what the hell are you talking about I said listen girl my mouth is numb I haven't done cocaine in 20 years and all of a sudden I can't stop chattering my teeth just from making out with you I think there's coke on your teeth so please do me a favor tell me when you're doing it so I don't make out with you even though I appreciate that it makes you horny and you take me in my car and make me do things that I'm really not used to doing cause I'm not that much of a stud where I'm so confident that I would just fuck in the back of my car have sex in the back of my car maybe I should get sponsored by Honda this could be a new angle for Honda I probably shouldn't say Honda so many times Honda however if you want to sell more cars you should just know that people still can have sex in the back of that four door LX LX Alex, 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 Alex is... <laughs> Then we went down the hill and she had to smoke a cigarette so I said you gotta open the window and you gotta put your head out cause I don't deal with smoke on any level. She said okay shut up and I absolutely shut up because I thought it was very nice of her to even have sex with me especially in my car and I drove down the hill pulled back up to the comedy store and I let her right out and she got out and pretended basically that I was an Uber driver because she didn't even say goodbye to me. She just stormed out of my car and walked into the comedy store and walked right in while smoking a cigarette and we didn't talk until nine hours later when her phone got charged again she called me she said she had a great time I said not nearly as fun as I did but you can only sing songs like this when you're extremely single like I am with no commitment that's true
that's the opening song as I like to come on a Tuesday and recap my weekend and I'm sure a lot more happened but I would not like to go over three and a half minutes for a song I don't do that so that's it stories that need to be told unplugged ladies and gentlemen unplugged like a mug Damn, I can't believe that. Can you believe that? The back seat of that Honda Accord is big enough for two. You're a big guy. Let me tell you something. Not only am I 6'2, this chick is 5'10 and a half. She is a model chick who happens to be 5'10. By the way, got in the back of my Honda Accord and acted like it was. There were like we weren't even in a car. <laughs> I've never seen anybody move so comfortably in a car. <laughs> I'm like you. You're like a gymnast. She's folding herself. She's and you know I'm fucking. I'm 40. You know what I mean? I don't. I didn't move. I just said, yo, you gotta slow down. I can't move. I, I move two different ways. I'm pulling all muscles. Yeah, she was moving every which way I could even. Um, I couldn't believe how much she was able to move. It was actually impressive. I was like, how are you so limber? Are you you don't seem like you do yoga because the cigarettes and the cocaine don't seem like it's like a, a yoga thing. <laughs> You know what I mean? Cigarettes, yoga, and Coke. That's the L.A. diet. L.A. diet. Unbelievable, man. Can you believe that shit happened? Yes. Yes, I can. It's unbelievable. I mean, I don't know, man. I, I, at one time, at one moment, I feel blessed. <laughs> I'm like, man, I'm a lucky man. And in the very next breath, I'm like, I'm a, I'm a scumbag. How do I let that happen? You're just taking the opportunities that are presented to you. That's it. I'm just dealing the cards I'm dealt. I'm playing the cards I'm dealt. You know, I always said it like this, Jordy. I think I told you this one. I always said to myself, I swear to God, I used to think as a kid, I'm going to live adventurously without being dangerous because I'm not a dangerous. It's not in my DNA to be like danger, danger. I'm like I'm like a guy. I don't jump out of planes and stuff like that. But I'm going to live as many street adventures as I can. Then I want to be able to write about them for a period of time, and then I want to be able to live off of the writings. And I kind of think that that's my life is like playing out that way right now. Like this episode two days ago will be in an episode of Single Mike. You know what I mean? At the comedy store, I don't even get to go on stage. I went there because I thought I'd be able to pop up and do some new material. Instead, I end up I ended up getting new material. She became new material. And were you planning on meeting her there? Or? I knew she was going to be there. I did. I did. I knew it wasn't that random. She had, I was, I had to wake up in the morning and pitch a show. And so I was like, you know what? I need to get out of the house, man. I've been running this damn pitch over and over in my brain. I'm getting cloudy. I just need some fresh air. And she hit me at night and she was like, hey, me and my friends might go to the comedy store. Actually, she was like, no. She was like, me and my friends are at the Truckadero across the street. I said, you guys should just go to the comedy store. I'll call over there, get you tickets, blah, blah, blah. I wasn't planning on going. So she's like, we're going over there. Come meet me. I was like, you know what? 11.30, 11.15 came around. I'm like, you know what? My meeting's at 10.30 in the morning. I'm not going to overstress myself because whether I'm stressed, tired, I, it's all just, just as long as I'm prepared, I'll be fine. But so I, I left the house. I went up there and yeah, man, that happened. I went up there and she was with her friends and you know, she just came at me like, aggressive I'm like yo I'm not this good looking you know what I mean like I got solid shoulders you know what I mean I got a good five o'clock shadow I got blue eyes I'm like my teeth are a little chipped up you know what I mean I got a couple crowns and an uneven smile but man she made me think I was real cool but at the end of the day I'm just getting used at a high level were you rocking a hat or no hat went no hat no hat no hat with the new haircut 
Strong. Yeah, I think that shook her up a bit. You set yourself up, though. You got tickets and drinks. I mean... I made it look all smooth. You know what I mean? Her name was at the door. Her and her friends, boom. You know, I, I'm just that way. Like, if I have friends coming to the comedy store, a few of them, I'm going to buy you drinks. You know what I mean? It's like, at least the first round of drinks, I'm going to get you drinks. It's That's like, true. You are very generous. You know? I mean, what am I going to... If, like, I'm thinking, like, if... 30 bucks is going to change my life, then I got worse problems than like that. I, I you know, I, I like to let people have a good time, especially the comedy store. I think it's like such a fun, great place for people to come. And some of my boys don't come up there like they should, which is cool because it's my domain. You've been there a hundred times at least. I love it. You know what's up there. That place is like carnival. And I'm running that shit like I'm just having fun. I, you know, I go there by myself. It's my cheers, but I'm a lo- I go alone, and an adventure ensues every time. Before she pulled me out to go get laid in a hill, I was watching Louis C.K. on stage. He called in a show at like noon and announced he was going to be there, and it sold out in like an hour. And all of a sudden, I didn't even know he was going to be there. I walked in, boom, Louis up there. Just him, a piece of paper, a bottle of water, and an attitude. And just going off doing his new stuff. And it was like packed house. I'm like, how happy am I that I left the house? I got to see Louie for 80 seconds. (laughs) She didn't care about Louie at all. Literally could care less. And she dragged me outside and forced me into slavery. The comedy store has some of the most unique energy I've ever experienced. Mostly good. I'd say like 9 out of 10 times going there, it's like an adult playground. There's so much going on there, and it's always shifting. Once in a while, you'll get some funkiness going on, but for the most part, that's just, like, adventure. Yeah, like, some people say it has a dark energy, and at times it does. It just has a swirling, adventurous energy. It's like pirates died there. You know what (laughs) I mean? Like, people who did bad things and wild things absolutely perished near the walls of the comedy store. There's no place like it on planet Earth. And I just, when all else fails or when all else doesn't fail, I've had more fun at the comedy store than when I've gotten invited to like celebrity friend birthday parties in nightclubs. You know what I mean? And I've done everything at the comedy store. You know that. I mean, I used to just roll up there and not be super social. So I kind of just like, I was all about, back in the day, I would just go up there with my notebook do my comedy, work on my act, put my head back down, roll down the street. My boys would pick me up on the corner and roll me out to a club, and I'd go out all the time. So it was just like I had two lives going on. But that was that's the place, man. That is the place, and it remains the place. And it's like, say what you want, but all roads meet, lead to Mitzi Shore. All comedy roads, man. She is a goddess of comedy. And, you know... As many great things that have happened over the last couple of years with the movies and directing and the writing and the jobs, the best moment ever is is getting off stage when you're trying to get past and Mitzi Shore pulling you aside going, I'm going to make you a regular. Call in on Monday with your spots. And you're like, I made it. Yeah. I made it. You know what I mean? Even though I only made $12.50 per show. I don't care, man. She gave she gives you an opportunity to to let your voice fly. You know what I mean? And that's as any artist, that's just what you want. You want to be able to have a platform. And like 
when I don't get stage time, because I'm not getting a lot of stage time up there these days. I just I've been out of the rhythm. I've been more in like the writing rhythm and you know the the I was the the, the directing shit where I was in New York and I had no energy to get on stage. But when I'm not getting on stage, it bothers me. It's like I need to get out there and like get it going again. Like and I'm gonna go do shows with Saget coming up in January, which I'm excited about. But I need to get I need to get um, my feet under me at all times and get my material out there. Like it ta- it's real, man. It, it takes a while to get good material going. It shit doesn't just happen. I don't know anybody that can go on stage and just fly. You know what I mean? Yeah, I heard Sinbad used to go on stage and just let it fly, but I know he's got to act. He had an act. I'm not one of those dudes who can just go up and fly. I know that uh, you wanted to get into a lot of the uh, pitches that have been going on, but can I ask a question because we haven't talked about it. How was Chicago with Sebastian? Amazing. Day after Thanksgiving, woke up in the morning, hopped on a flight to Chicago, beautiful empty flight, Southwest, got to Chicago and did two shows sold out at the Chicago Theater in front of 3,800 people each, each show. Wow. It was electrifying, and it's like, yo, kudos to my boy Sebastian for selling out two shows at the world-famous Chicago Theater. It was super dope, and it was they just treated you like a king. They put me at the Trump Hotel, which made me hate Trump a little less, <laughs> which was a weird thing. It was so ironic. They literally put me in this hotel, and it was like such a nice hotel, and the service was amazing. The food was incredible. I, the drinks were perfect. I might have got laid while I was there. You know what I mean? And all I could think is, God damn, man, this is making me hate this motherfucker just a little bit less. You know what I mean? Like, I, I don't even hate him. I don't even know if he has anything to do with this hotel, but his giant, ridiculous name is on the hotel. And it was fun, man. And the shows were so great. The crowds were incredible. And it's like, whoa. It's kind of funny because Sebastian's crowds are like people with jobs. You know what I mean? These are like smart people, mostly couples, mostly Italian because he's Italian, and that's his shtick. But they're mostly people who have like decent jobs and like decent lives. And it's so funny. Like I've opened for Saget. I've opened for Joe Rogan. I've opened for Sebastian. I've opened for Russell Peters. I've opened for, you know, in front of thousands, multiple, multiple times. But Sebastian's crowd, man, is very interesting. Everybody, they all have different crowds. And I've been lucky enough to be able to kind of flow with all the crowds. You know what I mean? None of those guys shake me. You know, probably just because I'm that Detroit blue, you know, whatever crowd you are, you still got a little bit of blue collar in you. You know, I don't know any crowds that are specifically white collar comedy. That's not a, those aren't fun crowds. A white collar comedy crowd <laughs> where everybody was dying to laugh, but nobody really could because their shirts were so damn tight. But uh, no, the shows were great, man. Had fun. Went back to Detroit after that. Uh, kicked it with the family. Shout out to New York for two days. Went and saw Saget in the play called Hand of God. He oh, was, how was that? He was great. Hand of God's great. Such a well-written play, man. Based on a true story of uh, a teacher who used to teach like puppet therapy in church. And so when kids had problems, they put a puppet on their hand <laughs> and they talk through their issues through their puppet. Obviously, the puppet gets out of hand in this one. But Saget plays a pastor who's got a crush on a on the teacher who created this this uh, the curriculum for the puppeteering. But great play, 
who was nominated for seven Tonys last year, and it's this is its final run right now. But Saget was great. And then the next day I went and I met with uh, with Steve, the guy who the company that hired me for the new movie for the uh, the gangster trucking business. Right. Yeah. So he walked me around the garment district, which is very cool. Yeah, I'm getting ready. I'm going to do this. I'm going to write this new movie about a Jewish gangster in the 70s that ran the garment industry in New York. And it's really interesting because in the 70s, one out of every three dresses in America sold came out of the garment district in New York. One out of three dresses. It was a multi-billion dollar industry. That's crazy. And the double irony is that guess who ran female clothing in the, the mob? Do you know what I mean? I mean, if, if that's not ironic, they ran women's wear. They didn't even touch men's stuff. They just ran dresses. Big business. Gigantic business. They got paid off the buttons, off the zippers, off the raw <laughs> goods, off the trucking, off the route. You picked it up. You paid for it. You dropped it off. You paid for it. You know what I mean? Every They got paid seven different ways. So I always thought it was I, I think it's cool. Like When you see a dress in a window of Macy's, in 1970, you have no idea what it took to get that dress there. There's blood on that dress, but it wasn't. So, it wasn't like a real murderous reign for the for the mafia. Then it wasn't like a, a violent end of their business because they. It was just it made so much money and it was just so smoothly ran by the families that ran it, and really they just kind of looked at it like they were just providing a timely, perfect service for you, because just like food or anything else. The, the garments had to be on time. You know what I mean? If you got backed up in your garments, you weren't getting your, your, your product on the floor. So I learned a lot. I got a lot more research to do, but I walked around with the son of the, of the head of the, I mean, I don't like to call him a gangster, but yeah, he was the son of the top gangster. We walked around Madison Square Garden, garment district area. He showed me the coffee shops that the feds ta- tapped. He showed me, uh, I walked into old school Carlo Gambino's office. Oh, really? Yeah. It looks like it's stuck in 1972. It literally still looks the same. It's amazing. I walked into his office. I just kind of, I just wanted to like feel the environment. You know what I mean? Because I know, or I knew nothing about making garments or how it worked. Like I I had to have him, besides me doing research, I had to have him explain to me 20 times how was... What were the routes? How were these guys getting paid? What do you mean they got paid? They had to tax. They taxed every single shipment. Were they getting taxed on per dress, per truck, per load? I had to really get specific. You know what I mean? Because I just want I want the details to be authentic. But the characters were compelling for sure. And he loved his dad, and his dad was what he did. What his dad did, but he did it in the name of making my family a life. You know what I mean? He just want his dad's goal was just give his family a better life than he had, and that was his main focus. And so his son, I'm making it kind of like a father son story. You know yeah. what I mean? It's like we've we've already seen the the gangster for gangster reason story, but this is really a kid who loved his dad, and who just wants to tell his father's story. So, you know, I'm I'm gonna do a little 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 hero worshiping in this one. Yeah, I mean. Something that I've noticed about your style of of writing is that you really do become immersed in 
the the atmosphere. I mean, yeah. you know, you in the beginning of this recording, you brought up single mic, and that's you know that's your life. That's totally you're, you're living it. But I mean, even in, incorporating some of these other stories that you write and you've worked on, like you really go all in with these these projects yo if you don't if you don't try to go all in then you're just not doing your job at the at the highest level because it's like i know i'm not the best writer in the game i know there's a lot of dudes i read you know i get the written by magazines and i read these guys and i was reading an article on sorkin today and you know i could never be as eloquent as aaron sorkin i don't even have the vocabulary to hang with him he he doesn't we don't have similar styles anyway but just he, you, they go all in on the research, on the character. My, the thing I was naturally good at, which is is great, but it doesn't help you so much with structure. But I was naturally good at capturing voices of people. You know what I mean? Ever since I was a kid, I could, I'd get a voice and I could write through that voice, which is kind of my thing. So, I like diving in on the on the human level, and then doing the research on the environment level. And just getting all the detail, all the details right, because, you know, as a, as human beings, we do we you connect. All we want to be is connected. So you just whatever strikes a chord is gonna be from the human aspect usually. And that doesn't mean I'm not talking about you can't be connected in animation because you can. I just mean even in animation, it's the core of the character that's really that's really pulling you in. Yeah, and I think that there's been a bit of a paradigm shift uh, from what film and television used to be, and it's kind of coming into your wheelhouse a little bit, uh, just in terms of what uh, what types of stories people are trying to tell. I, you know, off recording, we talk a lot about how television has kind of gone towards the anti-hero, uh, but... Yep. But now more than ever, even the anti-hero, we care about them because uh, the creator and and the the writers' room they've humanized of course. the character so, and gotten into that. Yeah, you know, it started with the shield kind of, with, and they, you know they made a uh, they made a hardcore badass, almost semi-corrupt, rough cop lovable. They were able to make Tony Soprano likable, lovable. You know what I mean? Guy's a killer, sociopath, but you loved him because he came home and he was human. And, you know, that's kind of the trick in this whole anti-hero world. But I think anti-hero had, has had a run. It's had a great run for a while. I'd like to see some hero hero. I'm ready to, like, get back to heroes. You know what I mean? I don't think every guy needs to be the anti-hero. Like, I agree. I you know I'm, I'm over it. That's I th- why. I think I really... I, I hit my, uh, my anti-hero surplus uh, watching the show Narcos because... I felt really conflicted rooting for Pablo Escobar. That's funny that you said that because in Written by Magazine today, there's an article on Narcos written by the writer of Narcos. His last name's uh, Brancato. Um, and he talked, there was one sentence that kind of caught me off guard. And he's like, we made Pablo Escobar likable even though he crashed an airplane with 110 innocent people on it. And I thought to myself, no, you didn't. Like, that's not likable on any level. You know what I mean? If you're going to say that he crashed, you know what I mean? We didn't li- I didn't like Escobar really on any level after that moment. So I didn't really agree, and I kind of thought to myself, nah, he ain't a hero to anybody. He was a sociopathic egomaniac, and his... What I liked about him in Narcos and that actor so dope, Mora, Amoro, I forgot his name, but... The guy that played him is so amazing, but 
his whole hook was Escobar was a dude who was never allowed in the cool kids circle. That's right. really what he came down to. Yeah, and they, they beat you over the head with that yeah. theme. Yeah, he was never part of the cool kids circle. And then you can kind of empathize with a character like that. But at the end of the day, buddy, you got billions. You know what I mean? It's okay that you didn't get in the cool kids circle. You kind of made your own circle. Right. And when you're smart and you grow up, you realize there's no such thing as a cool kids circle. Whatever your circle is, is your circle. You ever hung out with the supposed cool kids? Even in Hollywood, I've hung out with some cool kids. And I'm like, ooh, man. I'm like, yo, my homies in Detroit are way cooler. Get me home quick. Ugh, man. I've been, I mean, it's almost like, the irony in Hollywood is you hang out with who you think are the cool kids sometimes, and you're just like, yeah, like you're actually the uncool kids. Absolutely. Like your shit's uncool. You know, like kids who I've, I've been around these dudes who like think they're cool. And I'm like, initially they make me feel like, like uh, just like a lame. You know what I mean? Like I like I can't get <laughs> like I can't talk to them. Uh, you know, I try to break up everything with like comedy or you know just whatever how i always did i've always broken into groups of people with comedy these motherfuckers don't even they can't, i can't even get them to crack a smile and i'm like yo but then you then you get to know these dudes and you go wow these dudes are so insecure they're almost suicidal you know what i mean like they're acting cool but what they really are is kind of depressed it's i've seen a lot of those town. dudes it is a lonely town and you see that anywhere in the world but it's like don't mistake the cool kids for cool. You know what I mean? They're usually, they got some insecurity. You know, I know that because I've seen like some of these club dudes of like, who I thought, who I thought, thought highly of themselves have killed themselves out here. Like I know a couple suicides of like dudes who used to act really cool. And I was like, damn, that dude was being eaten away on the inside. So I think people need to just like get the cool shit out. Let it go, bro. You know what I mean? None of us are that cool. None of us get out alive. You know, we just got stories to tell. And that's what that's what I'm here for. I just want to tell stories that are compelling and solid and hopefully people dig them enough to watch them, pay yeah. attention to them and, and listen to them. You know, it's it's a little strange with the surplus of stories that are being told. Like there's just so many outlets for stories these days and, you know, the talking about the anti-heroes going back and and looking at these antiheroes, normal people are kind of div- they're picking up tendencies that you're not supposed to have. You're not you're not supposed to be you know acting like a villain in real life. Right. There are consequences. This ain't television. This is life. Go enjoy your TV show. Go go get on your Breaking Bad tip. But don't come out to the bar. Don't come out to the comedy store acting Breaking Badish. You know what I mean? Don't do it. Don't wave a gun. Don't come up. Don't come up talking smack. The real dangerous people out there are the ones that don't say shit. Be afraid of the quiet ones. All you loudmouth motherfuckers. Enough is enough, man. I feel like the act of being quiet is just not being. No one's just. A, people need to just learn how to enjoy quiet time. It's so. I don't know if it's under. It's just underrated. Like. What happened to quiet time? Every 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 restaurant you go into, every store you go into, yo, throw on some fucking Neil Young and I will buy a shirt. Yeah. I'll buy your shirt if you put me, put on Bob Dylan, I'm buying shoes. You know what I mean? Put on some mellow, give me a mellow, Otis Redding, I'll buy two hats right away. 
Give me something mellow. I thought we were going to talk about pitches. No, we're, we're going to get into it, but you bring up a good point about the human condition these days. It's all that matters. It's just, especially with uh, whether it's technology or just social outreach, we've never been more connected and more disconnected at the same time. Exactly. They, yo, there was a study done. This generation of dudes that are growing up on internet, on Tinder, internet, connecting, texting. Listen, I ain't shitting on technology. It's all dope. I use it. I'm cool with it. But ironically enough, these dudes are getting laid less than any other generation in history. And that's a fact. And I also stole that fact from watching Neil Brennan on stage talk about it. But then I had to go home and look it up, and it's true. And so obviously all your connections are disconnections. So, yo, homies, pick up the phone. Make a phone call. You like a girl? Call her. Shock her. She'll be stunned. She'll be, she'll, you might, she might cry in the first two sentences at the fact that you even picked up the phone. Bring back the phone call. You know what I mean? And listen, I could say what I, I could say. I never got on Tinder. I just never did because I'm just dirty enough to not have to. You know what I mean? But... Do some human shit. Walk up to somebody. Shake a hand. Look somebody in the in the eye. Feel people again. Yeah. You know, we need like a month of hugging. Yeah, be bold. Be bold. Sending a text message, sending a a flirt or a, a tweet. That's not an emoji. Bold. Fucking. Is there a coward emoji? <laughs> Send a coward emoji. <laughs> Unbelievable, man. I'm I love and I've loved it since I was a kid. I love the the verbal approach. I love coming up talk I love conversation I think that comes with growing up in a family where my parents had friends around so my brother and I grew up around adults all the time like all like from the time we could talk we were having real like literally like adult conversation with real human beings they did not you know hide us we did not I did not grow up in like kids should be seen and not heard we were heard and I think it helps it does help, and you need to have not necessarily a shield, but I mean, Los Angeles is is Neverland. People come here to, you know, chase their dreams and be excited for what they always thought the perception of what fame could be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Coming out here just chasing the wrong shit, man. But it's their fault. You can't blame that on the media, on reality TV. You can't blame it on anything. It's your fault. If you're coming out to L.A. to be famous, but you don't have a skill set and you don't have a passion, go home, bro. You're getting in the way of all our shit. Like, get the fat out of here. You know what I mean? I hate the fat. It's like, if you want to come out here, create dope art, dope content, you love the shit you're doing, Get out here. Let's go. Let's make shit together. But if you're those people who are coming out here and you just want fame for the purpose of fame, what are you doing? Because you're going to get it. You're going to hate it. You know what I mean? And you're, you're just getting in the way of shit. Like, have purpose. Keep it simple. Create dope content and share. You know? I forgot where I stole that one from, but create. I always like that. I think Dan Gilbert told me that. He's like, just create good shit and share it. Keep your virtue. You know what I mean? Like, create good shit, share it, and money will come, and things will come. 
and I'm trying to live by that. Well, you, you know, you are. You have. I, I'm, I gotta ask. This is a serious question. What do these executives think when you're coming in? You know, like week after week, because uh, the networks that you're pitching to, they're seeing you you're still, two and three times. Yeah, <laughs> I've been to HBO three times in the last month. That's no joke. You again? Well, I pitched to different executives. And I don't know how the hell it works in there. Like, I don't know if these executives go, like, if they shoot, like, an email and they go, anybody ever meet Mike Young? And then two of them go, he was here yesterday with the Kanye West project. And another <laughs> one goes, that's weird. He was here two days ago with Michael Rappaport pitching a one-hour drama. I have no idea how they talk amongst themselves. However, they must be getting the idea that really good content is coming my way, and I love that. Because I don't think anybody can just get in these rooms. I really don't. I think it's tough to get into the pitch like HBO and Showtime and Hulu and Amazon. I've been in all those rooms like the last couple weeks. And pitching is something I don't love, even though I love stand-up comedy. Like I feel like I could talk in any room, no problem, and entertain. My brain is just, ah, man, I almost want to say like I'm just, I'm smart in a different way. You know what I mean? I am not so... If I go off page, I start flying, and all of a sudden I'm forgetting what my show is. I can forget what my show is. I don't fucking love the art of pitching, and I feel like it needs to change in some way. I feel like, let's just go shoot sizzle reels from now on. Here's my five minutes of what my show looks like. Now let's talk about how we're going to run it, how we're going to staff it, run it, be cost effective, and where the story's going. Please don't make us go in there and talk for 25 minutes, man. And ask the same fucking questions. You know what I mean? Where is your character going in season two? I don't fucking know. I don't know. This dude might fucking take on a weird life of his own and hang himself by the end of season one. I don't know. That's not the plan. But I've read enough of my favorite writers and all the greats, the the modern greats, the Milches and the David Chases. Um, and the Vince Gilligans and uh, the Matthew Winers and the guys that do the shows that I so respect to see that sometimes they're not exactly sure where season two is going. Yeah, the guys who did The Wire, they had their shit mapped out at a level that was incredible, and I believe they stuck to that plan, and they already had their deal in place at HBO, but you don't always know where it's going to go, you know? So it's interesting, man. It's like, but you can't hate... You know, a lot of writers are like, I fuck these executives. You can't hate executives. They're just, they're people trying to do a job. And the truth is, they want to bring dope shit to their company. They want to bring good shit. You know what I mean? And sometimes they're not always like on your same level of storytelling. Or sometimes they are. Some of these dudes actually have English backgrounds and writing backgrounds. They're not all whack. You know? So... I think you gotta. I don't. I don't have an attitude of like going in and like hating the people across the table. It's just a difficult process, and like even with uh, like even with my Detroit show, you know, I got Eminem executive producing, Michael Rappaport executive producing. We've gone into HBO, Showtime, three or four other places. We got three or four other places to go, and the people kept talking about you know where's this lead character going now. I wrote the pilot on spec, and the pilot is what got everybody interested in coming in seeing the show. Pilot's amazing. Thanks. It's your opus. Yo, and it's like it's what got Eminem on board. It's what got Rappaport on board. It's what got Chris Silverman, the head of ICM, to set the meetings up. But then when I go in and pitch, 
I'm not just pitching the pilot. I got to pitch the whole series out. And it's like, I just want to, and I, I already outlined the first season. So I really want to go, you know what? Great to meet you guys. Do me a favor. Read the pilot and the 10 outlined episodes that I've got right now. And then call me and let's talk. Otherwise, I'm just talking to talk. Because nothing proves itself like the paper, like what's on the page. I can never be as good in the room as my script is going to be. Even though everyone's like, you're so good in the room because you got a comedy background. You're a comedian. It's like, I don't give a shit. My script is better than anything I could talk about. It's, it's, it's a tough thing you know? because when you're talking, you can't be listening. And when someone else is, is listening to you but they're thinking about what they're going to say when you're done talking, there's going to be a disconnect, not necessarily the whole time, but a piece of it. it it's got to be a really difficult thing. It is, man. And it's like because I am the writer on these projects, I'm the one that does all the talking. So Rappaport, you know, says, you know, I found the, pro-, you know, it, here's how a pitch goes for all you guys. If you ever want to pitch a show in Hollywood, this is, this is how it goes. You got your crew outside, you and your two buddies, you and your two people that are coming in to pitch your story. I go in the room, you know, me, in this case in particular, myself, Michael Rappaport, agent from ICM, the three of us. Executives come in, sit down, chit-chat, small talk. Hey, how's the kids? How's the family? What's going on? Blah, blah, blah. The agent usually knows them. What are they? What is everybody wearing? What are you guys wearing? What are they wearing? I come in writer style, so I come in like button-down shirt, just casual but cool and and respectful. My whole thing is like I'm just gonna give you respect because you just deserve respect. I'm not coming in like a schlubby writer. I know some writers come in stinking like weed and like cooled out. That's just not my way. I, I'm 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 I'd rather be like a wolf in sheep's clothing. You know what I mean? I'd rather come in there looking smooth and hit them with some edgy shit. I like that approach. So we're all dressed properly. You know, Rappaport usually has like a button-down shirt on or he's got like some cool sweater that he just bought. <laughs> Agent comes in all agented out, matching suit, top and bottom. You know what I mean? Sharp dress, scared to really emote. You know what I mean? Just like most agents, he's just thinking about the sale. He comes in, he's already talking to them about like some other client that he's got on the show to make sure that client's getting paid. So he's already doing two forms of business before we get down to our shit. You know, that's how that's what agents that's just in the, that's just their DNA. And so we sit down and in come the executives and it's usually like two dudes in pastel bright colors with very clean shaved faces and gel in their hair. You know what I mean? Very, you know, very very, uh, very proper. Very, very usually very nice. You know what I mean? They don't come. No one's coming with an attitude. Everyone's nice to meet you. Nice to meet you. Small talk. Small talk. Small talk. Talk. And then usually the agent just jumps in. Thank you for having us. Uh, we really appreciate it. Mike has introduced us to a world that is very unique, and it's set in Detroit, and it's something we haven't seen before, and I think it's extremely compelling and timely. It's a period piece, yet Detroit is making a comeback. Thank you so much for having us. Uh, I'm going to let Michael Rappaport tell you a little bit. And where is everyone? Are you sitting? Are you standing? What Three of us on the room. Boom. Table. Conference table. Usually conference table. And when it's a conference table, we're on one side, they're on the other. I'm in the middle, rap to my right, agent to the left. 
three executives, two or three executives sitting across from me. One's always got a pen and a pad. And I always notice they always like write down important phrases. You know what I mean? I'll be talking for a while, and then I'll say something like, Detroit's underworld was known as the third city. I'll see him grab his pen. Third city. You know what I mean? Third city. You know what I mean? I'll say something like, the relationship between the father and son at times gets strained, but by the end of season one, it's evened out. I'll, there goes the pen. He must want to put, report this to his boss. So, yeah, three of us on one side, three of them on the other. Agent says his piece. Rappaport, you know, he's so funny. He always, he just does like, he just does like the basic, like, um, um, you know, Mike brought me this project. I really loved it. I'm on a show that's a period piece. I love Detroit. The way he wrote it was so incredible. He used like this narrative device using the Hoffa interview as like his narrative, you know, motif. It was one of the best things I've ever read. We've been friends for a while. I'll let Mike tell you about it. And you can just say hi to Paul Rosenberg, Eminem's manager, who's on the speaker. So we got a speakerphone in there, and Paul Rosenberg is always on speakerphone because he's not in L.A. He doesn't live in L.A. Wait, wait. Just a sidebar for a second because you bring up Rosenberg and Rappaport. So Rosenberg does Shade 45. That's Is that his show? Yeah, that's yeah. serious? No, no. That's rapper. That's the rap dude Rosenberg. Oh, okay, okay. He's known as just Rosenberg. This okay. is Paul Rosenberg, who is the manager of Eminem, Marshall okay. Mathers. Okay. And he... When I gave this Detroit script to Rappaport, he gave it to Rosen, Paul Rosenberg. Paul Rosenberg called Michael Rappaport and said, yo, I love this. Marshall and I want to get involved. And that was when they attached themselves to it. And that's when I met Paul Rosenberg at the cigar bar. The cigar bar. Did I tell this? I think I told this story already on I don't think. Air. I don't think. Well, just recap it in case you did. Just a recap is uh, Rappaport reads my script. He goes, "Yo, you mind if it's cool? Yo, can I send this to a couple people?" I go, "Yo, send it to whoever. I'm gonna send it to my boy Paul Rosenberg." Sends it to Paul Rosenberg. Paul Rosenberg reads it. Dude, he's like, calls up. He's like, "I happen to be in L.A." He's like, "Yo, can you guys meet me at the cigar bar?" And I tell Rappaport, "I'm like, yo, I don't smoke cigars. I'm kind of like allergic to that smoke. I don't really mess with them." Rappaport's like, shut the fuck up, we're going. We don't say no to Paul Rosenberg. So so we go to the cigar bar. I pop a Claritin D, just in case I'm going to have an attack. So we go to the cigar bar, and there's Rosenberg. And he's a big dude, man. He's 6'5", 280. He's 250, 60. He's a big fella, you know? And uh, shaved head, so he's kind of menacing. And he's sitting behind like a big Tony Soprano smoking his cigar. And when we get there, and so me and Rappaport sit down with him. We start talking. Obviously, Paul's a super sweet dude, and he's from my area. He, his mom and my mom know each other for years. So how crazy is that? We sit down, and we just start talking back and forth. And by the end of the conversation, Rosenberg is like, what do you want from us? Because Marshall does not want to act right now. He's turning, he just doesn't want to act. But he does want to produce television. And Rappaport jumped right in. He's like, yo, we don't want him to act in this. We just want him to executive produce this. And he was like, done. And so it was like a love fest. It was such a love fest that Rosenberg's mom called while we were sitting there. And he said, I'm sitting here with Michael Young, Gail Young's son. And she starts talking for like six minutes on the phone. And I'm like, what's going on? And it's like... Next thing I know, he's like, dude, my mom says she's been friends with you and you're with you with your parents for forever. And your dad was like the greatest guy. And there were like thousands of people at his funeral. All of a sudden we're like talking about my dad. So it was a love fest. Serendipity. Serendipitous. Big time. 
And it was a great moment. So we all shook hands on a handshake deal. And then I had to go to work. And then I really had to go and develop this pitch structurally and make sure it was sound. And they didn't let me off the hook. I had to go to Chris Soberman's office at ICM and pitch him verbally. I had to pitch him the show three or four times before he ever greenlit the meetings. You know what I mean? So it wasn't, nothing ever felt like a full guarantee until we got the meetings set in stone and it was a guarantee. So it was like you had to get past level one to get to level two, which is the conference table, Rosenberg on the phone, Rappaport agent and pastels across the table. Yeah. I had to go through level one, level, ground level, write the dope script. Ground level one, Get it to your friends who have relationships and see what they think. And your friends that are high-level artists that you trust and whose taste you like. You know, taste and tenacity. I saw that somewhere recently. I like that. Taste. Have taste and tenacity. Good taste. I gave it to Rappaport, who I know has done, done tons of dope work. He dug it. I'm at level one. Past level one. He got it to Paul Rosenberg. The goal was to get Eminem attached. Boom. We passed level two. Level, level three was to get Eminem's agent on board and to set the meetings at the highest levels, boom, past level three. And now we are in the midst of pitching all the networks. And nobody's bought it yet as of today, but we've got like three play. I go to Epics on Friday, and we got DirecTV after the new year. And this story is one of those things where I told Rappaport and I told Paul Rosenberg, I got to go have drinks with him actually when I was in Detroit. We, we hung out and watched some football together. And I said, dude, if, uh, if everybody passes on us, I'm going to go get $3 million. I'm going to go beg a few people for, mo- for money. And we're going to make this show. We're going to make this movie. We're going to make it a movie. Then we'll go to television with it. This is just one of those stories from my life. I have to get, it has to get out there. So I don't care if it's a book, a movie. It's just, it's just too many people are, are into the Detroit 1970s situation. And I just don't want someone to come and do it before me or it'll break my heart. Even though I know they can't do it from my angle because I have a, a different experience than they do with it. And I know the, I know characters that, that they could never know that are compelling and amazing. So, yeah, man, you pitch. Who's calling me? Interesting. Oh, it's my agent calling because I told him, get me a directing job by January 15th, I said. This is how these dudes are. Look at them panicking. I don't, I'm not taking the call right now. I just don't want to take it because I just, I just made up a date. You know how I am. I'll just make shit up. It's like, why shouldn't life be a playground? I don't mean that. But I said to them, yo, get me another directing gig by January 15th. Meaning like, yo, get on your horse, bro. Let's just get this going. I just made up a date. He emailed me back. He's like, what does that date have to do with anything? Why that date? What does that mean? It actually doesn't mean anything. I'm not leaving. I'm not going anywhere. I just wanted a date. Nobody, this is what I learned from being around high-level business people. I told you before, Dan Gilbert, owner of the Cavs, owner of the Quicken Loans, he is a high-level operating individual. He did not make a billion dollars in a lucky way. This is a guy who is worth $3 billion. He has a rule. He gets back to you within 24 hours. If, if you email him, if you're a... If you're doing business with him, he's not going to hit a stranger back. But like his thing is, if you're doing business and you're working with him, hit him, hit 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 you back within 24 hours. I, I got I'm dealing with motherfuckers who are like in my life. We're trying to do business together on a daily basis. Aren't hitting me back for 48 hours. 
where's your sense of urgency? Are you like, are you, what are you going to, you think you're going to live to 140? Like life is quick, man. You need to be on this. Like that's, that's part of the game. I don't accept that. You know, you shouldn't. And people are like, Mike, you're unmanageable, man. That's why you've had four managers and five agencies and like eat a dick. Yeah, I am unmanageable. But guess who's not? Guess who I'm not unmanageable to myself. Guess who I do keep working with other artists that I love working with and people that I respect. So I'm down to be managed. I'm down for the age. I'm down. But like I am a motherfucking gangster. And Ooh. I don't mean that as a real gang. I mean, I like part of the fun of this shit is communicating. Get back to me. Let's talk about it. Let's develop a plan. You know, like I look at those old school dudes like Bernie Brillsteins and like these old, like just like old school managers. And, and there was that documentary on that goose, Shep Gordon, I think his name was, I think. And it's like these dudes were like getting back to you and like they were creating with you and they were like riding with you like a fucking road dog. And like there's a couple dudes who are like that in this business and I, who are dope like that. But some aren't, and the ones that are dope like that, they're at the highest level. And until I land there again, I ain't fucking with anything. I'm just not fucking around, you know what I mean? And I ain't the man. I ain't making anybody millions of dollars right now. I know how the game works. I don't give a fuck, you know, because the game is changing, and content, dope content is dope content. And if you can make dope content, somehow you're going to win. You know, I'm used to being broke and then getting money and then going back to broke. Like, I'm just, I'm good. I'm okay. Yeah, no I'm one's going to look out for you more than you. Hell no. That's why eventually I just want to get my brother out here to manage. You know what I mean? Like, let Rob run the ship. Soft, strong Soft, hand. strong Rob. Let him come in and run Red Leaf. You don't, I don't want to talk to you. Talk to my brother, who's not even in the business, but he runs our business. You know what I mean? Somebody who's going to have our back 100,000%. Anyway, that's just a vent. Back to pitches. Well, I mean, just looking at it, you, you know, you talk about the process and, you know, people getting back to you, people don't get back to you. The bottom line is that n the public does not care about the process. At all. They care about the end product. Game over. That's yeah. it. That's it. And that's... Give a fuck how it got here. Everybody's so quick to be a critic. So quick to be just, you know... Making sure that, you know, oh, I would have done that differently. I, I definitely would have done this differently. But there's so many hurdles that have to be jumped over by the creators that, you know, you can't even fault anyone if there's just like one minor, you know, plot point that's missing here and there. It's those that are given creative control and truly trusted with their vision that create the works that stand the test of time. Agree. Agree. Let people do what they do. And if you fail, you fail together. You know what I mean? Like, let, let, let the people that, that create, create. And like I said, though, there are some execs out there who are dope. Like, there's, there's some dudes who understand story just naturally. You know, like when we sold the piece to HBO, the... the you know, I don't want to call it single mic, but when I sold the movie, the TV version of My Man is a Loser, basically, um, when we sold that piece, the executive I worked with was like, and I'm, I don't want to drop names on this, just I don't think I need to, but just uh, 
was high level and it was like he had like a he had a sense of rhythm of story and he had just had a sense of timing and he had a sense of comedy you know and this is a dude that runs a major studio and he does major major comedies and you could tell this is a high level dude this is you know but i'm sure for every one of those dudes there's other there's writers getting notes from people they can't stand you know it's just a you know but that's just fucking business how do you change it you don't and maybe it's like, yo, maybe we look at our business like it's like this big thing, but what is, we're just making entertainment, you know? Like, let me just make some entertainment. And they are. People are letting me do shit. I feel lucky right now. Lucky. Yeah, you're... We sat today outlining a Bolivian drug, uh, corrupt Bolivian government movie that we're getting paid for. Yeah. That I've never been to Bolivia. You know what I mean? These things are falling in the lap at a perfect time right now, man. So... Shit, I'm just happy to be working. It just comes back to what you said earlier about human connectivity and, you know, dealing with comedy, dealing with drama. It's just a matter of just knowing how different people would react in certain situations. It's either going to be a happy time or it's not going to be a happy time, but you know that it's a story that needs to be told. Stories that need to be told. Song break. Oh, I've gone into many networks for the last couple weeks and sometimes I sit across some people and they've got resting bitch face and they don't care what I'm saying but they're just gratuitously meeting me and it isn't because of me because they've basically never heard of me and it's usually because of someone else that's attached to the project like Kanye West is attached to a project Eminem is attached to a project Michael Rappaport's attached to a project but they don't give a fuck about Mike Young Trust me when I tell you they don't give a fuck about me but they will one day when my shit gets through and finally gets on the air and i finally get a show going it's coming close now it's coming very close now i trust me when i tell you i'm gonna get on the air because if i have to i'll start my own network by robbing seven thousand banks in a year I will rob 7,000 banks in a year. That's how badly I want to get my show on the air. If you want to get your show on the air, just rob a couple banks in a year. If you want to get your show on the air, just rob a couple banks in a year. You can start your own network. Oh, man. Holidays are coming. People are already slowing. I've never seen a, a business that just can't wait to stop working. I mean, it's like after Thanksgiving, you might as well just go home, just stop. Everybody's looking for excuses to be done. I never stop working, ever. Like, I just, as as far as, like, writing and performing and all that, I just like to keep it going. Like, what's a vacation? Nobody seems happy on vacation. You ever see families on vacation? There's always a kid fighting with the other kid. There's a drunk father. You know what I mean? There's a wife reading a book she hates. Is anybody happy? I'm, my, I'm, I'm just as good writing uh, like at a table. You know what I mean? Or sipping tequila somewhere I haven't been before. All this vacationing. I don't know, man. It's just a big fucking hoax. It's a big hoax. Single mic. Where would I go on vacation right now? How much eggnog can you drink? Put it down. <laughs> Put the eggnog down. It's over. Santa Claus isn't real. <laughs> Just let it go. Stop buying a bunch of shit for nobody. 
Save your money, people. You don't have it. You don't even have the money to spend. It's unbelievable how many people in this town fake having money. <laughs> it's you know what I mean? so true. It's like, I thank God that my dad taught me to like, just pretend you don't have money, kid. You know what I mean, Michael? Let's just put the money in the bank. Nobody needs to know what you got going on. And that is in my motherfucking DNA. People are like, why don't you buy a better car? For what? Do you know how dope Honda Accords are? I mean, you can just be in the back seat. Five, ten women. It's got to be pretty good. I just got laid in the back with a five, ten model in a in a four-door Accord. What did you do in your Bentley yesterday? Nothing. You were afraid to sit on it. Nothing. You wouldn't even let your friends in the back because you were scared they are going to spill their coffee. Fuck your Bentley, homie. Your Bentley that you rented. <laughs> you know what I mean? That costs more than the place you live. Definitely. I'm the opposite. I go, let's go. I'm, I'm all for the blue collar way of life. Keep it underground. Let's be the millionaire next door. Oh, That's what absolutely. I'm all about. You know what I mean? I'll have a wall full of money. You'll think I'm just doing okay. And that's great with me. You know what I mean? Because I'm just going to be eating, living, yeah, loving. I'm... That ego shit brings you... Ego is what brought the country to a halt. The cost of living isn't high. The cost of pretending is high. I say that in my act, but that's the damn truth. Absolutely. And I mean, you more so than me, but in this town, you know, we've been very privileged to know some high, high level people who never have to worry about money again, but you would never know that they lived, you know, in the 1% because they're just good people. And, no doubt. And we definitely know people who are in the 1% who are also not good people. So totally. I've gotten, listen, I've been blessed in my time in LA to meet some high level, great people on in, in the artist world and the business world and the whatever world. And I got a couple people that I can, I'll, I'll say the names. I don't care. But like as mentors and people to look up to on certain levels, I will say that Dan Gilbert, who did finance my first movie that I wrote called Grounded, which will be out at another time with Aaron Paul and Jeff Daniels, as a mentor and the way this dude lives his life, and even though he's at the highest level financially, that that's where I'm. That's where I like. That's what I like. That's where I want to go. You know what I mean? Like, no flash, no flash and dash, no bullshit, no major ego, fucking, you know, trying to outshine people. Hell no. Be confident in your gut. You know what I mean? Like, be confident in your heart. Do good shit for other people. Don't fucking put things in people's face. You know what I mean? The, uh, he's one person I definitely look up to. Leo. I look up to, I swear to God, Leo is not a flashy person. You know what I mean? I don't, I feel a little uncomfortable saying his name, but Leonardo DiCaprio, friend of mine for 18 years, could live at the highest level on planet Earth, never has to worry about money again in his life, but fucking feet on the ground, loves his mom and dad, good dude, listens when you talk, not on some fucking, you know, some, you know, be a prince and fucking be flashy type of shit. Hell no. That motherfucker wears the same t-shirt and it might be mine three (laughs) days a week. You know what I mean? Like people like that, that have it, but don't flaunt it. Just stay at, keep your feet on the ground, man. Too many people are hurting in America, in the world to be putting your shit in people's face. I don't like that, man. I don't like flashy ass people. Don't get me wrong. I enjoy the club. 
I like going to the club and seeing bottles come by with girls in tank tops, you know what I mean, Carrot while on somebody's shoulder celebrating a birthday. Spend all your money at the club. I'm having fun, but I'm just talking about as a person. Don't be a fucking flashy asshole. And you know who you are, but it's, you know, you're insecure. If you're a flashy ass, you know what I mean, and you got to fucking buy material shit. Now listen, there's beautiful material goods out there. Go ahead and get them and appreciate them. It took a lot of work and effort to For get, sure. you know, to build something beautiful like a Bentley or a beautiful watch that costs 100 Absolutely craft one into it. But you know what I'm talking about. People that like, that's just their desire to show off. You know what I mean? I'm not down with that. I'm not down with that bling bling vibe. You know what I mean? Now, do I want to go on stage, perform with a dope gold rope in honor of like hip hop roots and my, you know, and an ode to Run DMC's look back in the day? Yeah. Yeah. I'd like a cool gold rope. I don't know where to find one that's I can afford. Well, you keep like up, a medium one. Keep up the work ethic and it's going to be a big year. I've got two bold predictions for 2016. Oh, man. Here we go. Positive Jordy. Positive Jordy. It's worked. We keep we do keep rolling. Keep, keeping rolling, but it's also you know projecting positivity. Yeah, wish fulfillment backed up by the hustle. That's yeah. what it's all about. You know, and I, number one has to do with your boy Leo. I think this is his year. I think he's going to take home the Best Actor Oscar. I love that prediction. I love that. I, I believe love that. this is it for him. Yeah. As it should be, because he's deserved it multiple times, and he's been snubbed, and he's not mad about it, but he is the man, and he will get his Oscar, and Revenant looks unbelievable. Yeah, it looks great, and I think think he's deserved it for a couple of his other roles, but I think that, that now is the time. That film just looks like... You know, every frame could be a painting. No doubt. No doubt. He should win it just for the facial expressions in the trailer. (laughs) He looks... That motherfucker is so good at acting. It's sick. It's unbelievable. I literally... I was... It's it's disturbing, actually, how gifted he is. I told... He came to see a comedy show of mine one time with my boys. Like, ten of them showed up at the Laugh Factory one time. And I did a show, and I was mediocre. I got nervous when I saw everybody. They surprised me, which I didn't like. And I did the show, we left the place, and fucking Leo starts imitating, like, his version of a comedian. And I actually was, like, a little upset because (laughs) he was so good, like, he's so funny while imitating a comedian and just driving around town that, like, I was like, motherfuckers, you just discounted what I've been doing for years. You just imitated a comic and you you, you could do a tight (laughs) ten. He's a gifted dude. So, yeah, I hope that prediction comes true for him, for sure. Prediction number two. Mike Young, known to some as Michael Young or Young Mike, single Mike, is going to get an overall production deal from a studio this year in film and or television. I'm leaning towards television, but I wouldn't count them both out. That would be a beautiful thing, Jordy. I'll start crying right now if that happens. 2016. I am, sh- and I've said it to you before off recording, I'm surprised it hasn't happened yet, but I think 2016 is the year that it just rolls into one and people allow you to be the creator that your work backs up. Yeah, I mean, I, I love that idea, Jordy. How dope would that be if we set up Redleaf Umbrella under like a Universal or a Warner Brothers or a Sony or a, anywhere? I don't know. Or NBC. Just somewhere where we can just bring in content because content is coming at us. 
It's coming right now. Left and right. And it's good stuff, too. It's not like whack shit's coming. It's like I had to call Lev, who's running ballers out in Miami, to go meet with a girl in Miami who's got stories that need to be told. Yeah. You know, I put that together right now. You know, we'll make that happen. But, like, there is content coming. So I'm trying to, I want to just get that plan formatted. You know, and I wonder if it's, like, a high-level agent that needs to make that happen or if it's, like, a new managing situation that needs to make, or is it just me making a phone call to my boy who's, like, a president at Sony, you know, and, like, do I just say, listen, I got so much material coming my way and I'm getting hired for multiple jobs right now. Let me put this under your banner and finance my company so I can hire an assistant. I can hire two guys to run my development. You know what I mean? Put you at the head of development and we just go to work. You know what I mean? And let me get into a rhythm of create it, get the crew behind it, budget it out, make it put it out you know what i mean let's be detroit style assembly line write it you know what I mean? write it budget it hire shoot put it out boom enjoy it same shit all over again hey that's that's just that's all i want to do man that's, that's it what's been happening i mean if you look at a lot of television shows that have been and this is i've, I've noticed a trend what film and television actually is that there's not as much buildup as there used to be. Yes, of course, the the mega monster comic book movies and you know the network television shows. I'm talking basic cable network shows and you know the Disney projects, Star Wars. Like they have to let you know a year in advance, right? For them to even co- to come close to recouping their investment, no doubt. But you'll notice, and I, and this is m- potentially more for like the streaming networks, you know, the Netflixes and the Amazons. They're not even telling you they're making the projects. They just release them. Yeah, yeah. They're just in the in the cave making them work. I heard Netflix is dope, too, to work with. Like, I heard with the Narcos article I read, they really just let those dudes do their creative thing, you know? And, and Brancato, when he went in the meeting with Netflix, he was worried that, like, the few of the pitches he was going to give them, they were going to deny because they were so out of the box. They were like, we're going to start with narration and then fade out of narration. You know what I mean? We're going to go back in time, but we're going to keep the same exact actors and change the ages of the kids. Um, we're going to spend, you know, we're going to go 50-50 on Spanish and English, um, that you know, all these things he was worried about, but Netflix, the executives over there just were cool and like let him do his thing, and they fucking came dope. Narcos did it was very cool, you know. And obviously, as a writer, you're naturally insecure, so there were moments I could tell he wasn't sure he loved at the end of the day, you know. But he's definitely very proud, and they put a lot of work into that shit and a lot of research, you know. It just shows that no matter what the genre is, you have to have control of your universe. That's it. Totally. Totally. You know, anytime my control's been tinkered with over the last few years, it's it's fucked with my head, number one. And I think it's like fucked with the product a little bit, you know, like I, it just has, you know, so you got to keep the cooks out of the kitchen. Like single mic, we got a dope package ready to go out. Okay. But I need... That's my world, you know what I mean? So hopefully everybody is just, you know, there for support and doing what they do best and bringing stories to the table on a Monday afternoon or on a Monday morning, you know what I mean? But, like, let I, 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 that tone is, I got that tone. I got it. Let me, let me breathe on that one because 
shit is too hard, man. Plus, I'm just a sensitive bitch. You know what I mean? I can't really like let things. I got to learn to let things go a little more. You yeah. know? And a lot of writers that you read about, they're the same way, every level. But I need to be a little bit more able to just kind of let let things go, not be stuck in like battle mode. You know? And it's I know why it is. It's just because like you know when you infringe on someone's work, it's like you're pushing them physically. It's like you're physically. It's like you're kind of like infringing on their personal space. It feels like you're like, you know, it just feels like you're you're infringing. And I don't do well with that type of shit, which I could work on. I'll see a therapist starting Monday. And you've, you know, the thing about your projects though and you know, the the work for hire projects aside because that's just people coming to you and saying this is something that I need you to write and here's money for it if you're up for it, which, you know, at the end of the day, we all do need those paychecks because, you know, of course, if one of the four projects that you're pitching right now were to hit, that would be great. But there's no guarantees. You, no guarantees. You take the guarantee when it's in front of you. Absolutely. And, and you keep pounding the pavement uh, towards the overall packages and the goals that you want for, the, you know, and television these days has become, you know, more a more arduous battle because there's more money being pumped into television now than ever before in the history of entertainment. And the cool thing about what you have, you know, with your stories is that they're all you you can change gears a little bit with all of them. You know, Detroit's dramatic, single mic comedic. Totally. When you you know you're talking music Kanye shit, music. Yep. And yeah. I can live in all those worlds. And still keep a part of me in all the shows. And then, you know, the the Vegas, that's, you know, that's one that's come full circle. Oh, my God. That was the first one that was really, like, it, it's like a, this is all like a horse race. You've got so many horses. My that- horses are running, and they're all well-developed horses. These have been for years. Five years ago, I was pitching concierge, and I had a deal on the table at the Stars Network. Guess what for? A one-hour drama about a concierge in Vegas. The deal got scrapped because one of the producers wanted too much money. I lost it. I lost out on it. I took the project back, retweaked it into a half-hour comedy, and I'm out pitching it. I'm I'm out pitching concierge again, which I think is more in your wheelhouse. In totally, the long give haul. me a half hour. I'll fucking make it the funniest, dopest half hour ever. For this one, yeah, for sure. Yo, I'm so nuts. I didn't even tell you I did this. And by the way. I went to a conference that Dan put on in Cleveland, and he had like Urban Meyer and the guy that created AOL and the guy that created eBay, all these amazing speakers. And the one thing I loved about all of them is none of them played by the rules, like the the basic rules. So when they needed an idea to get across, or they would do weird shit like you know send a pizza to an executive, and the executive would open the pizza, and their their idea would be there, you know. Right, right. And this is I didn't do that, but like most people would not email, and I. Maybe I should have, maybe I shouldn't have, but I've I've already, with with my first movie, My Man is a Loser, that's out now, by the way, on Amazon, on iTunes, rocking. Uh, with My Man is a Loser, I emailed the CEO of Lionsgate. Lionsgate bought the movie. I emailed John Feldheimer. He doesn't know me. He's never going to meet me. Guy I makes remember. $70 million a year. I remember. Remember? I fucking emailed his ass. Hey, man, this is Mike Young, writer, director. Just want you to know you got a great movie on your hands. Thank you for buying it. I truly think if you put some effort into this movie, you will strike a chord and make some money. Thank you. Have a great, healthy holiday. Mike Young. 
sent it off. Never heard from him. I don't care though. As long as I can say at the end of the day, I left it on the field. Well, this morning I emailed the vice president of HBO (laughs) because I was there yesterday pitching and I just wrote him because it's the second time I pitched HBO in a month. I don't want to go 0 for 2 at HBO. But, so, but have you gotten? I haven't got a no. <laughs> so you're. I'm not over two, but I feel like Jesus, call me already. <laughs> Someone call me. No, no one's in town. They're all in Tahiti. Doing what? Just drinking eggnog. Hold on, you got to hear what I wrote him. <laughs> Here is my email. Um, what is this under? Brad, Stephen. Okay, I don't want to say his name, but let's. I use his name. Then I say, hey, hope you're doing great. Just want to let you know, yesterday I came in and pitched a half-hour single camera, a half-hour single cam about a concierge and his ragtag group of employees that run the Las Vegas underworld concierge business. It's a wildly unique world. Anyway, thanks again for letting me in the room. And if you guys respond to the show, I promise I'll put an amazing staff together together to make it great. Thanks again. Have a wonderful vacation. And sorry for stealing your email. Just trying not to go 0 for 2 at HBO this month. Be well and all the best in 16. <laughs> Mike Young. Be a great project for them. You know what I mean? How do you, how do you get mad at that? You can't get mad at that. I know he's busy. I wonder if he wrote me back. I don't see it. Did he write me back? Oh, man. Uh, yeah. Michael Young. Nope. I got nothing from him yet. He's such a good dude. You know, at the end of the day, we're all human beings. So, you know what I mean? What are we really worried about? All you can- NBC cancels best time ever, but stays in business with Neil Patrick. I never heard of be- Oh, best time ever. Oh, that was that, like, yeah, like game show-esque type of show. What shows are still on the air? Can we... Talk- Yo, it's undateable. My boys are all on that show, but I haven't seen it. Did it, it just sl- like no, quietly go off the... it's killing it right now. Yeah, undateable's killing it because they moved it... To uh, it's a live show now. No, no, I know that. Killing it. Wait, is it on every week? Yeah. Are you sure? Yes, it's. I think it's one of, if not NBC's top comedy right now. That was. I love that. I didn't know that. It, I haven't seen it. I thought maybe like it quietly left the air. I didn't know. I mean, I I'm I just a, saw Brent Morin from the show. He's like, "Can you get me tickets to the Cavs game?" I'm like, "Can't you get tickets? You're on a hit <laughs> show. Why do I gotta call someone?" Seriously. Well, I mean, I'm a big fan of Bill Lawrence. I think that 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 dude is is a brilliant show. Absolutely. So you know, I I kind of keep tabs on on him on Twitter because he's really entertaining on there, and he's always posting he's big into twitter he's big into periscope he face he's my facebook friend oh well you should poke him what should i tell what, what should i tell him i just i don't know be like next uh, maybe next year i'll go on a six-week run and, and write with them and just get some chops under me for like tv shit before i go off on my own yeah you'd be great on writing for that show just because you know it's it it's it's similar it's it takes place mostly in a bar and in detroit in Detroit, is it Detroit? Yeah, I think I knew that. And then Dele- Randall Winston, who's the producer, went to my high school. Oh, around the same year? Do you yeah, know? yeah. He's a couple years older than me, but I knew who he was. Mm. He's a producer on the show. Yeah, great, great dude. I think Dalia's like the single wild card. Brent Morin's still trying to like figure it single, out. Single, figure it out. And then there's a there's a gay character, there's a big black character, and everybody's just yeah, you know, it's happy a mosh to be posh. There. Oh, it's what's his name? Funchess, right? Yeah, Ron Funchess. Yeah, he's on that show. So it's a lot of funny people. Yeah. So I, you know, I think the live 
aspect of it kind of like shot him up. Yeah, because you know that show was a little rigid. Yeah. So it was too jokey joke in the beginning, but then Bill Lawrence, I don't know what he did on that finale where they did the live thing. He killed it on that. I mean, he killed it. He really the writing was dope. He brought in so I don't know, man. It looked like he brought in like a different crew to write that episode because. It it, it it he rocked that shit. Well, it goes back to being able to shift gears. Totally, gear shifting. Oh man, Jordy. Oh man, it's an hour and fifteen minutes. Somebody could have jogged for a good long time and listened to this whole episode. Oh, by the way, I don't. I haven't told you this. I'm loving the Jim Tweet Chronicles. Are you? I am. A lot of people are. What is? Yeah, I, I love that you're loving that. I've. I'm a big fan of it. Just and it, I mean, at some point you can just take all of those and just make it into a book. I think, like maybe even an animated book, like a cartoon. Yeah, people are loving my gym tweets. Dominic Lombardozzi from the uh, from the Wire. Just he just uh, he favored one of my gym tweets. About time for me to go upstairs and show off 16 and a half years of amateur boxing boxing experience on the heavy bag. And by that, I mean I retired O and O. That's so funny. Oh, well, it's just somebody f- else. Oh, I wrote, uh, <laughs> man, that soccer jersey does not make you look any more athletic, bro. France would not be proud of your sprint technique, Jim Tweet. I love the the concept of Jim Tweet because that's almost what Twitter was made for. It's the inside thoughts that don't hurt anybody. Yeah, I'm not hurting anyone. I'm just, I'm just, I'm just talking about people at the gym. And everybody's thinking what you're saying. Totally. You know, wow, bro, did you go with the double headband over there on the elliptical? Good move. Gym tweet. Gym tweet. Wow, girl, is that a poem on the back of your spine? Gym tweet. You know what I mean? Hey, bro, you're running like life's been good forever. It's a good bit. Gym tweet. I'm enjoying it. I've seen it. Well, you've been doing it for like two weeks now. Two right? weeks, yeah. I just here's my here's what I do now. I work out at the gym. I get my weights in. I get my heavy bag work in, and then I go and I walk for 15 minutes on the treadmill, and I do 15 minutes of tweeting. <laughs> That's it. So I just do 15 on the treadmill, and I tweet the whole time, and I tweet about everyone I see, in the cage, in the gym, on the treadmill, elliptical stretching, because there's so many characters. I forgot I said one one thing. Yeah, this one dude like kind of looked like kind of gangster with the tattoos all over him, but like way too much gel in his hair. So I had to tweet him out. <laughs> I was like, yo, bro, I never would have guessed that many tattoos would had you wearing this much gel in your hair. Put on a full shirt. Yeah, I Jim saw tweet. that one. Jim tweet. It's good. It's it, yeah. it's it's catchy. You know what, Jordy? You just want an outlet. That's all we want. That's all people want is an outlet. I, that's why I always told my mom, like, my mom is so funny, man. You've talked to my mom. You know my mom. Your well. mom Facebook messaged me at 6 a.m. this morning, Pacific. Well, to I, say, Jordy, I'm coming out for the premiere. She did say that. She she said, I'm coming out for the premiere. Mike's going to be sick of me. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, she's, I, asked, no. I asked her if she saw the movie. You know, it was funny, too, because, like, you know, I, I'm not big into the Facebook chat, but, you know, I leave it open and just when I'm scrolling sometimes. And I saw your mom's name. And I was like, oh, Mrs. Young. And then, like, instantaneously <laughs> she messages me. And I was like, it was it was like 9, a, probably like 8 a.m. Central time. So, she, you know. I, 9 a.m. Eastern. She was on 9. Oh, she was probably on 9. Okay. Yeah. So, I, yeah, it was 6 a.m. here. And I was just looking at it like, yep. Oh, yo, my mom, my mom 
is talking to my producer of the movie. And by the way, a stand-up guy comes out February 9th. It will be out February 9th is going to be the day. But we're having a premiere in L.A., and my mom is very excited. I booked my ticket. I'm staying for nine days. <laughs> I was like, ah, where I is love it? you, Ma, <laughs> but nine days. What are you doing? <laughs> You can't do nine days. That's, you can't do that. That Honda Accord's going to get a lot of use. In she won't night. even drive it because she's scared to no, drive I'm it saying, out of town. You're gonna, you're gonna I'll be to driving the, You'll be using the back seat. Oh, I'll be sleeping in the back seat. <laughs> I'll be living in my back seat. I mean, I love my mom. She's the best, but, and she's really funny. But yeah, she'll hit you on Facebook. She talks to Danny A, my, my star of my movie, and my producer who financed the movie. She's talking to him. At, like I think they're dating. <laughs> I don't know what's going on. They might be. That, the, it could be the same age for all I know. He plays a 29-year-old. I didn't even tell you. I went with Danny A and Stevie and the crew to uh, Adam Sandler's holiday party. You didn't tell me that. You haven't been here. You've been sipping eggnog. and Yeah, but you don't just hit me with that on a... You don't just text me that? <laughs> I've, I've been saving it up for the podcast. How was that? Awesome. It was you so You went to cool. Sandler's Christmas party? It was, yes. Christmas, holiday, whatever. It was, it was Was he performing and stuff? He performed the whole time. It was he was on stage in front of a live band uh, with a couple of faces that you would recognize from, you know, his friends from from certain films and he just kept bringing up musical acts. It was like late 80s, early 90s Nirvana. It, Don't you forget about me. They're just going. I'll be alone. And he's good. He's a good performer. Hell yeah. And he, he brings up uh, Gene Simmons, Vanilla Ice. What? Yeah. Who else did he bring up? Did uh, Ice sing a song? Of course. No, I mean per- to perform. He like, did Ice Ice Baby yes. with Simmons on guitar? Sim no Simmons did it. It was Simmons. Uh, he did. It was like everybody was doing their own thing. It was Holy like, shit! Oh, and who? Well, uh, lead singer from Sticks too. Oh my God! Did he sing Sailing? Yes. What? It was awesome. It was fucking a. It was awesome, and it was in this crazy spot in Burbank that was like, had to have been like the place to be in like 1964, and the grounds were just enormous and it was it was the most adult playground ever and it was honestly when we walked in and I I I knew that this was going to be the case I knew it was going to be an adult bar mitzvah I kn- that's for yeah for sure do you have a yarmulke on <laughs> no but it was pretty much an adult bar mitzvah buffets and open bars everywhere candle lighting ceremony <laughs> And then we go over to the grounds, and there's like an arcade set up and karaoke, and it was like this place had ice skating and bowling. What? It was the most insane. Does it have ice skating and bowling on a regular? Yeah, this. Where pl- is this place? It's in Burbank. It's near uh, like ABC. WB. Was it Pickwick? Is it called Pickwick? It was Pickwick. That's exactly where it was. It was at Pickwick. Yep. I've played hockey there. Yeah, it was. I love that. It was insanity. That just—I mean—it just goes to show you—you know—you put yourself out there, you'll uh, you'll go some places in this town. That is so great, man. That's great. Congrats! You went to that party. That sounds like a blast with our hot chicks there. Yeah, it was cool. It was. It was so Sandler's much, so cool, man. So many, so many people there. You oh, you weren't there the time Sandler played ball in the men's league game. No, Dan, Danny A brought him out. Yeah. Yo, Sandler's like a secret like hero of mine. Like I kind of got into comedy because I was kind of a fan of Adam Sandler. I mean, that's why I put I play guitar and say weird shit is because kind of because of Adam Sandler. I loved his shit, and Sandler knows me because I played basketball at his house one time, and I actually had the greatest shooting display I've ever had to the point where <laughs> I was almost, I was almost embarrassed. I couldn't miss. 
because he had a loose backboard, and my shit kept dropping off the backboard and just falling into the net. I remember one of my boys that got mad at me, and he's like yelled. He's like, what are you, going pro? And Sandler was cool. He was like, how about just great game? <laughs> you know? Sandler's a nice guy. He's a good dude, man. Oh, my goodness. From what I've met. Yeah, he apparently he puts that party on every year. And it was his what? Birthday or what holiday. was it? Holiday. Just his holiday. Holiday. He, apparently he... um. And like the majority, I mean, yeah, you see, you saw like scattered faces of people that you, you know, you'd recognize from film and television. But I heard for the most part, it's a party that he puts on for like the assistants for, you know, the doing all their great work. Yeah, that, of, yeah, the like, grips, the, his crews, probably like that. It just seemed like a lot of people who were just really happy to be there. I was really happy to be there. I love that man. It seems like he just puts a good group around him. Yeah, you know, it's like you got to put a, just a good group around you. Talented, funny people. I just want to be around fun, funny people. That's you it. Know? Well, it should that it should be that hard? No, that's it. Let's just be around fun, funny people. It's like I went back to Detroit and I got to be around like my nephews and my family, my and like some of my cousins, and I just like get such an energy charge of being around like what of, around like laughing, you know. And L.A. is the kind of town like you gotta go out of your way to be around some fun, funny people, even though I can go to the comedy store, but. You can get you can get into a darker place in LA, you know. Like you gotta find the light, you know, for sure. Which like, is I, so ironic because it's always so sunny here. Isn't that ironic? I love irony. Oh man, well it's just because there's no seasons for the most part. I mean, people don't know what to do right now because it's a little chilly. No seasons, none. But uh, speaking of seasons changing, I think we wrap up this episode because I'm starting to my brain is starting to get loose. I'm hungry. You know, I worked out. I really, I, I kind of gave you that food. I really didn't take too much of it. I didn't eat too much. So I didn't eat too much. You're a giver, Mike, and that's why. I'm a giver. That's why things are going to. I like to feed the people in my life. You <laughs> know what gonna, I mean? You you're my do. boy, bro. I feed you first. Always. I'm always good. Chicken, I'm all good. meatballs, tuna fish. You know what I mean? Something, always. Yeah, I'm like another version of my grandmother. That's important. Yeah, I will. I feed the people. You know, just ask all the girls that come over. You know what I mean? Send me your poor huddled masses. I'll give them a quesadilla, you know what I mean? <laughs> they can have a good cry, take me in the back of the Honda, whatever it takes. Yeah. I'm just trying to please the people. Well, whatever you're doing, it's working. So, uh, yeah, keep it up, and it's going to be a fun 2016. And may your predictions come true for Leo and Red Leaf Entertainment and Mike Young's situation. That would be so overall dope. Uh, all right, great pod, stories that need to be told. Hope you guys had a good one and enjoyed it. And, uh, yo, we'll see you later. Peace.